People say I am the best boss. They go, God, we've never worked in a place like this before. And you get the best out of us. I think that pretty much sums it up. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of Good Boss, Bad Boss. I'm Joey, your host. And today I'm chatting with someone who, in my mind, belongs to a different league of bosses. The ones we look up to because they've led huge teams at impressive companies, the kind of people whose names you see in TechCrunch or Bloomberg, and you think to yourself, these guys, they've got it all figured out. They're in a different league. And that guy is Akshay Kothari, co-founder of Notion, previously the VP of product at LinkedIn, before which he started his first company, Pulse, while at Stanford, and it took off after being featured by literally Steve Jobs at an Apple keynote. Yep, impressive is an understatement. But despite Akshay's impressive CV and successful career, he didn't have everything figured out from the get-go. He didn't even plan on becoming a boss. In fact, he called himself an accidental founder and manager, forced into it out of necessity. This brings us to the heart of our conversation today. How do you manage when you're an accidental manager? It's an experience many can relate to, that moment when you unexpectedly found yourself in leadership roles, not through a carefully laid out plan. You're an accidental manager, now what? Let's hear it from Akshay. Today, I'm super excited to talk to you, Akshay. Uh, We have actually never met in person before. It's kind of a crazy story. I just posted on LinkedIn that I want to do a podcast. And I said that I watched your video on YouTube about how you started um, your whole career, how Notion is built, um, and talked about how when you built Pulse, you know, your, your project in Stanford, and you were not ready to launch it. And then your professor pushed you to launch and you say, we always feel we're not ready, but you know, we should just go for it because then you get feedback. And that really spoke to me. And then I tagged you in that LinkedIn post, I never thought in a million years, you would see it or respond. And you did. So it was like, Oh, it was like a moment for me. Um, that's, you know, when you really appreciate the power of the internet. Um, so I'm really excited to, to speak to you today. You're the CEO of Notion and, you know, a very impressive background, but maybe you can just like speak a little bit about yourself, uh, how you became manager for people who don't know your story exactly and your current position at Notion. Well, Joey, thanks for having me. It's so great to do this with you. I think two things you said that sort of made one is obviously the power of the Internet. Uh, Mm -hmm. Isn't it great that we get to meet each other on a podcast uh, that you're starting, which is so great. Uh, But also, I've been, you know, a lot of the things I've done in my life started as like a, some of the bigger things I've done started as a, like a side project, as a hobby. Mm. And I'm a huge fan of always doing that. And so when I saw your post, I thought like, what better way to enable that then reach out and offer myself as a as a guest so thank you so much (laughs) i don't know how good the podcast will be and i don't know if i have good stories to share but i'm i'm a believer in your new venture and excited to be here thank you yeah i will do my best to make it good (laughs) Um, so i think in terms of my background um i grew up in india and i came here for studies and after my master's um uh, here in the u.s I sort of accidentally started a company. Basically, in my last quarter at Stanford, as a part of a class project, we built this news app called Pulse. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it became this app that Steve Jobs talked about it in 2010. 
and suddenly like sort of overnight it became a company epic and so so essentially like you know it started off with my co-founder Ankit and I but then as we hired people I sort of became an accidental manager mm. as someone who hadn't spent a ton of time working at other companies it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a sort of fake it till you make it like you know I just meet other people around me and just get tips uh, mm. as as I sort of grew but I would say like the big you know when Pulse got acquired by LinkedIn I spent about five and a half years at LinkedIn mm. uh, and I had two specific managers uh, Ryan Ruslansky was my manager for the first couple of years who is now the LinkedIn CEO mm-hmm. uh, and for my last couple of years when I was leading LinkedIn India uh, I got to report to Jeff who was the then CEO of LinkedIn mm. uh, and I've learned a lot from them so I think those two have been incredible managers and then yeah and I guess my 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 third manager of my life is Ivan who's the CEO of Notion so those are the three people I've got to work with mm. and I've learned a lot from each one of them yeah I, I would also say that I definitely went from sort of hated people management and that's why I was very happy when Pulse was acquired because I was itching to not have to manage people mm. and just go back to product building to now very much sort of enjoy management mm-hmm. and now see how much leverage I can get by sort of like really nurturing yeah. and investing in the people and so like I, I feel mm. I feel like I get joy from it now uh, but I very much did not feel that way but you went on a journey I went on a journey that's a super interesting journey and I hope that we can we can get into that maybe from the beginning of when you had your first experience with Pulse you I guess you were focused on building the product and then it kind of blew up overnight and then you had to accidentally become a manager because then you have to start your team it's a, probably a very different skill set building a product versus building a team uh, how has that first experience started out and influenced your your management style and probably that's probably the part that you hated more of in the beginning. Yeah, so I think when you start a company, you know, it's you and your co-founder, and even when you hire the first few people, mm. and in Pulse, we actually ended up hiring a bunch of our friends. Uh, Classmates from Stanford. <laughs> you know, you don't need to do that much management, right? Because essentially, like even if you're a group of six, eight people, mm-hmm. um, you're sort of always on the same page yeah uh, and then I think the other thing that's interesting is like when things are going well you feel like you don't need to manage as much right when the company is just growing so fast yeah and you know you're getting uh, you must be doing something right you must be doing something right you feel like you must be such a great manager but it turns <laughs> out like I think growth sort of like hides some of that mm-hmm. so that was the first phase which was actually kind of like felt like an extension of product building but just you know, you're moving faster because we we now have a few friends working with us. Mm. I think the challenge for me was when two things happened. One, we grew to 15, 20 people. So it was a little bit bigger mm-hmm. where you cannot just stand up and say something <laughs> and expect everybody to be on the same page. Yeah. You sort of have to, like, think about communication and the norms mm. and what happens if someone's not in the office and, you know, all of that. So that's one piece that happened. And then I think the classic mistake that I made was we didn't have a ton of managers, right? And so essentially, by the time we were Everybody 20... Everybody reported to you. Yeah, like either reported to me or to my co-founder. Mm. And and so, you know, at 20 plus people, you do have to manage, right? Mm. You do have sort of interpersonal challenges. And then 
we also started to not do so well for a while, right? I think the I think the macro changed, or maybe we're not mm. growth was not as easy as it had been till then. Yeah, and so the combination of that made me. I still remember one of like I think a week or two. I just sat there and thought about like what am I doing? Because all I'm doing is managing people and their challenges and not spending enough time on product. And which I thought was my zone of genius was product, right? So why am I spending mm-hmm. all this time on like people things, investor things, everything except product? And mm. and I started to feel like, wow, this is such a waste of my waste of my time, yeah, right? and, uh, and energy. And I I sh- I, I'm, I should be doing better things. Um, and so so that was I think when when LinkedIn actually acquired Pulse, uh, of course very excited to join them, but I was also somewhat relieved because mm. I I. At least the way we had scaled Pulse a certain way, you know, we would have to have sort of make some changes there. Mm. Uh, and I think I wasn't enjoying going to work, right? Mm-hmm. A- at least from me personally. I think overall Pulse was How doing fine. How long did it last, the time at Pulse, before it was acquired by LinkedIn? Pulse from, from sort of founding to acquisition was about three years. So it was a pretty fast journey. But I would say like a lot of the pain that I'm talking about was probably the third year. The first mm-hmm. two years... I think the growth was, still was so exciting good. And, yeah, yeah, things things were going so well. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, like I think again, I should also say like all of the management or sort of me, like whether I was a good manager or a bad manager, is is a good boss or bad boss <laughs> is a little bit like I was sort of learning on the job, right? Like mm-hmm. week to week, I would be like, okay, that's working. Okay, like, I should start doing one on ones. I should like set a vision. Like I wish mm-hmm. I should do some sort of OKR and like you know you sort of do. The things that you think uh, a manager should do, yeah, a manager yeah. should do, and and I think we were in Palo Alto, surrounded by other startups, mm. uh, and so you bump into other entrepreneurs, and you just sort of like it's like okay, what's working for you? Yeah, and and I was literally just learning on the job, right, and Mm-mm-mm. totally winging it at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it got a bit bigger and more complex you were kind of relieved that LinkedIn is kind of coming in and kind of taking that. It's like, okay, now we can take care of it, like for you a little bit, that kind of feeling. Yeah, so when LinkedIn acquired us, the interesting thing that happened was LinkedIn is obviously sort of functionally organized, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I joined them as like a product manager as part of the acquisition. Mm. Uh, and so what ended up happening is sort of the broader team, like engineering ended up getting engineering managers inside LinkedIn, mm-hmm. you know, marketing, winter marketing. They're like dispatched into their respective teams. And so I still get to work with them, but mm-hmm. I became a product manager and I think I had zero reports when I joined them. And so okay. I suddenly found myself like feeling like I have so much time and I can like get back to building products. <laughs> the interesting thing there is like, I think you also sort of realize sort of grass is greener, right? So when I joined LinkedIn, LinkedIn mm-hmm. was 3000 people and you realize the transition of going from a CEO mm-hmm. to just another product manager is a, is a rough one. Yeah. Because suddenly, if you wanted to do certain things, you would do it as a CEO. Yeah. And as a product manager, you suddenly realize like, oh, I need to... Ask permission. Go do all these things to sort of land the things we wanted to do. Mm-mm-mm. And so I think the first six, nine months of LinkedIn was actually nice that I didn't have to manage people, but also I was a bit lost mm. in that like, okay... Is this really the best? It's an adjustment. It's a big adjustment. But one of the things I think sort of I learned through that mode is that when you're 3,000 people, you for the company that large to sort of do well, you do need to have sort of processes in place. 
And one of the things I got to see the first six, nine months is just how LinkedIn worked. Mm. And I think it's probably the first time I had a, a boss, right? Like I had, yeah. instead of my board, I actually had a manager. Uh, and, and it was Ryan? Ryan Roslansky, who's the current CEO, was my, uh, mm. was my manager. And I think he probably shielded me from like 80% of the sort of typical corporate things. And like, just so that we could still like really you know, grow at LinkedIn. Mm. Uh, but you could see the things that he would do, right? Like, okay, how would he run the weekly meetings? Mm. And and how does the company think about vision mm-hmm. and mission and values? Uh, which yeah. to me, like, I, I think we had that at Pulse, but I could never tell you what that was, right? Like it was, <laughs> it was in the deck, but it wasn't, li- like we weren't living them. How was he living those? Was he the one who was doing those all hands with all the company weekly, talking about the vision? So Ryan was doing the weekly meetings with the broader content team. And then Jeff, mm. who was the CEO then, was doing the all hands every two weeks, mm. uh, which I think LinkedIn does even today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the time I started to get to know Jeff then and get to see him. Like, even though I didn't report to him, you, I, I saw him mm-hmm. in meetings and I saw him how he was sort of running the company. And then again, that was sort of like a five-year journey at LinkedIn where over the, the course of that time, I started to understand what good management looks like, right? Mm. I think LinkedIn is really well organized and managed. And it's probably one of the sort of like the mission driven companies is sort of, I think everybody says that, Mm -hmm. but I think you really felt it at LinkedIn. And how did they make you feel that the values? I think part of it was, I think Jeff did a nice job codifying them, I think probably like 15 years ago. Mm. And then he would, actually, this is a good topic. So I think this is probably useful for how people should think about it, right? I think everybody will come Mm. up with it and and codify them. I think that's sort of like the basic thing. Mm. But then you have to think about like, okay, how do we make it core part of your company? And I think the way LinkedIn, at least Jeff did it, was the simple thing to realize is that you sort of have to repeat it forever. Uh, And you have to repeat it until like you feel like you can say that in your sleep, right? Mm. And I think Jeff would never lose an opportunity to talk about it. Okay. Almost to a point where even I would f- cringe sometimes. Be like, "Oh my God, Jeff! Like, <laughs> you're saying this again. Not again. Like, not again. You know." And but I think he would never. Uh, he would never get bored of it. Like I think you could put him okay. in front of employees. You can put him in front of media. You could put him in front of government. Mm. And I think he's probably said this like a million times. I'm not kidding. But I think he would have the same passion and energy talking about it. Mm. So so I think repetition was good. But I think. Beyond repetition, like it was also something we actually truly did, right? So, for example, so LinkedIn's vision was to create economic opportunity of the global workforce. Mm. You know, I've, I haven't been at LinkedIn for five years, but I can still say that, right? So that just tells you how much <laughs> yeah. it got ingrained how in my... How strong it is, yeah. But if you think about it, it's like, okay, well, you felt that every day. Mm. When people got new jobs, when people got an opportunity to speak somewhere, when people got an opportunity to be on the board of something, yeah. you know, you hear all these stories and you would realize that you truly were creating economic opportunity for them, mm. right? You got to sort of see that. And and I think Jeff would do a really good job taking these stories and sort of tying it back to that vision, mm. right? And so you felt that. Reminding. You're reminding yeah. that, okay, this is what we stand for. This is what we do as a company. Mm. And here are the stories, like real stories coming mm-hmm. in every week. Right. So so that's that. Then there's a question of values. I think we had uh, sort of operating principles at LinkedIn as well. And I think uh, Jeff would do a really good job pulling them into the meeting. Mm. So 
I think, you know, for example, one of the values that LinkedIn had was act like an owner, right? Mm. And and I think you could see him many times in just regular meetings, right? Like either one-on-one or group meetings mm. where he would say like, hey, we all should act like an owner and this is why we should do this way, right? And so I think, mm. I think again, it's sort of repetition, but it's also taking the application to sort of what you're doing then. And I think you do it enough of it and then you sort of realize that, okay, it's not just you and the leadership team. The the 10,000th employee who joined LinkedIn yeah. would also get fully rewired into this vision and values by week three or week four, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then you realize, okay, what's the value? Like, okay, sure, like, you know, you, you, can, you can do this. Everybody knows it. So what's the value? The value of all of this is that one day at LinkedIn... I still remember this day, uh, our, our stock price went down by 40%. Okay. Right? And and when, when stock price, like when you're a public company and it goes down by 40%, it sort of shakes you. It's like, wait, are we like mm-hmm. half as good as we were yesterday? Mm-hmm. And the thing I remember from that day is Jeff stood in front of the company and he's, he did the same thing. He still iterated sort of what our vision and mission and values were. Mm-hmm. And you realize like, okay, I'm not here just to collect my paycheck and collect all these shares, I'm here to create economic opportunity in the global workforce. Yeah. And uh, sure, the stock price... And will, I'm an owner. And I'm an owner. And I'm all these... Exactly, yeah. right? And yeah. so so in bad times, you realize the power of this because yeah. you realize that, okay, I don't need to say something different. That is why we're here. That is why we're all working on this together. Yeah. And That's powerful. And actually, the, uh, the last thing I'll say here is that another thing that Jeff taught me was that he, he used to talk about how Trust is consistency over time, mm. which I thought was a really simple way to think about it. And so yeah. in the downtimes, we talked about that. But also, I remember when our stock hit like really high, I think in 2014, 2015, it, it went up to like 275 bucks. Even in that time, he talked about it as like, OK, just because, you know, our stock is 30 percent up, we're not 30 percent better. We're mm. still who we were yesterday. And so... Mm. I found all of these to be very interesting toolbox as a manager, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about sort of like, okay, how do you manage a company? How do you manage your employees? I think these are very interesting concepts that if you invest in them, it can really help you tremendously in sort of good times and bad. Yeah, and it's a way to ground people in good and bad times and rally everyone behind uh, you to, to move in the same direction. So so has that affect how you, when you came into Notion and like, did you try to implement what you've learned at LinkedIn into Notion? Yes, we did. Although it turns out it's actually pretty hard, you know, so, so at, Link, <laughs> at LinkedIn, we, we obviously, I sort of inherited this, right? It, sort of, I, yeah. it was already in place when I got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you mean I, it's hard to find the, the mission and the values or it's hard to kind of repeat it and make it a, a live, like a living thing? Actually, both are pretty hard. Mm. But I would say codifying them into sort of what the mission is mm. and what are your operating principles was a tremendously like tremendously harder than expected problem. Yeah, uh, I thought like of course as we sort of know the story, uh, mm. you know how hard can it be to just put it on a paper, yeah, in a pick four <laughs> or five it values. Repeat a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, but turns out that actually like picking the right words so that it's actually memorable, mm-hmm. so that actually everybody can understand, and it's actually meaningful is pretty hard. Mm. I think we've done a better job on the values front than we have done on the mission front so far. The uh, mission is really hard. I mean, I'm really the hard. brand director and I'm supposed to come up with the mission for my company. And 
we either stay at the really product level or you go so high that it just feels like any company can say that, like you're trying to change the world and make it a better place. And you have to kind of find the in-between where you're uniquely positioned to do this, but it's also beyond your product. It's very hard. Uh, mm. It's also kind of like, how do you come up with something that feels like uniquely this company? Because <laughs> yeah. I think you either end up with something very generic or something mm -hmm. too specific that doesn't feel like, you know, it has the power. This universal um, feeling to it. Yeah, yeah. So how's been your experience coming up with the mission? <laughs> Do you all feel like you have a good one? I think we're still like trying to connect the two where it's high level enough to be inspiring, but also, as you said, you're uniquely positioned to, to do. I don't think we're there yet, to be honest. Yeah. I think Notion has gone between two, which I don't think either of them are actually the right one for the long haul. <laughs> But I think the easy way to sort of talk about it is always to say, like, hey, we're here to democratize software making. Mm. And this idea that essentially, you know, we want everybody to be able to build their own software is, mm -hmm. is one mission. And the one we've sort of internally talked a lot about it is like, you know, sort of vision is ubiquitous software tool making. Mm -hmm. But those are three hard words back to back that it's like <laughs> almost impossible to like remember exactly what those are. And so... So yeah. I, I sort of default to democratized software making because I feel mm -hmm. like, okay, that's the thing that people can truly understand. Mm. But I don't think we have nailed it yet. I feel like it's also kind of a product vision that is a little bit like a few years ahead of where, how I feel people are using Notion today. Um, I've listened to your video about like where you you see the product going. And I think that's amazing and very exciting. But maybe today, like all the things that people are using Notion for, it's not maybe f encapsulated into that mission. Of 100% agree. Yeah. But I think also like if sort of you think about where you are today, which I don't know if you feel you're, this also, like I think, you know, calling it a productivity suite is also kind of boring, I think, a little <laughs> bit, right? So, so I think actually our marketing team came up with something that I thought is pretty compelling, which is sort of at least defining what Notion is. It's not the mission, mm -hmm. but Notion is a connected workspace. Uh, yeah. And it connects people, it connects tools, it connects your processes, mm -hmm. you know, to make you more productive, which feels sort of like, okay, that, that yeah, sort of resonates good. with people. Mm -hmm. But then it's also uh, like, oh, it could be Google Suite, like the Google Docs. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, <laughs> we're different. <laughs> so so uh, you were talking about how actually it's much harder than you think to define the values, the mission. Uh, you did a better job in values than in the mission, still kind of a work in progress. And that's fine. How has that influence your experience like leading a team at Notion also like what was the setup like how many people were reporting to you or are reporting to you maybe you can speak a bit about that yeah so the values one I actually feel pretty good about and even that mm -hmm. one actually took a long time it took about 18 months to finally feel like okay we, we feel like we have the right setup I think it's probably like 15 iterations on that we have Notion docs for each one of them <laughs> uh, so yeah so I'll, I'll spare the process but where we landed with was uh, we have four now, which is mm -hmm. we are owners of our mission, mm. we are pace setters, we are truth seekers, mm -hmm. and we are kind and direct. So those are the four. Mm. And the thing, the interesting thing about this is like it feels authentically us. Mm -hmm. Like this is who we are. It's not aspirationally us. It feels like this is very much us, mm. uh, which actually is an interesting challenge, right? Because when you're coming with your values, you're sort of thinking aspirationally yeah. what kind of company you want to be. And I think it took us a while to get to a certain stage, maybe get to 100 people where it feels like, okay, this is not aspirational. This is how we operate. Mm -hmm. This is sort of what we want Notion to be, but also what Notion is today. Mm -hmm. uh, and once we locked those down, 
it actually helps a lot because I think it helps you in everything you do inside the company. So yeah. so we use it for recruiting. We mm-hmm. use it to sort of celebrate people's you know behavior inside the company, like certain mm-hmm. people doing certain things really well. We use it to sort of make our decisions. Like you give uh, them a badge, like oh you've been like demonstrating yourself as an owner of the mission and that kind of reward. We haven't got to the badge yet, but uh, <laughs> we we do sort of uh, applaud them in the all hands. Okay. Saying mm-hmm. like okay here's an example of someone who is really kind and direct, or mm-hmm. or here's someone who was a real pace setter. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, one new thing we are doing, which I think is I'm kind of fun about, uh, you know, notion is I think we took a lot of inspiration from Lego blocks, mm-hmm. right? Because it's it's software. Yeah. Given as Lego. And mm-hmm. so for each employee, we've now given them uh, a small Lego character. Uh, oh. And and so when people do interesting things, you get more Lego pieces to oh your set. Oh, my God. And uh, then there will be someone who can build like a whole castle. Exactly. <laughs> and then so each anniversary, you get a block, which sort of puts you up. Oh, okay. That's really cute. Uh, and so we've leaned into that, um, which I think has been, I think the people team in it, has done an amazing job sort of operationalizing mm. that. Yeah. But actually, one thing I would say on the values front is like, I think over time, as we've sort of spent time sort of thinking through these, one of the things I've realized is that what you want to do with this is 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 truly celebrate the, the input and the behavior because that is actually one of the best ways you can shape the culture, right? So for example, you can always, in all hands, you can always talk about the big deal your sales team landed, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things we try to do is think about the inputs. Like there is a chance Mm -hmm. that someone really was a pace setter and a truth seeker on a deal that they chased for, let's say, three, four months. And there's a chance that that deal did not uh, land for whatever reason, right? Yeah. I find it really important to celebrate that because then you're basically sending a signal that... To encourage that kind of behavior. You're encouraging that kind of behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And again, like good times and bad times... I think the values are also tested when you're going through a lean stretch, right? When you feel mm-hmm. like, okay, things are not going as the way you thought they they should, uh, and and can you still behave the way you want to? Uh, you know, you sort of set for the company, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find it sort of super interesting because I think like it's possible when you're just trying to like chase growth, you can cut some corners and like not truth seek as much, or you know. Yeah you're not owner of the mission that we have and I think it's a good reminder to have those codified because now you can reflect to them be like okay I know like we're probably not doing as well as we would like this month Mm. but let's not change the way we operate yeah that's very true and and it keeps people focused on the right things Um, because sometimes you can be like yeah I closed the deal but I was like a total jerk about it and you know just not following the values and that's not the kind of behavior you want to encourage if going back to maybe when you started at Notion, um, when you joined, you were maybe like just eight people and now you're at 500 people. I assume like it was a very different game for managers for you. How did your management style had to evolve? My Notion career has been super interesting. So in Pulse, I was truly winging it, right? I had never done it before. Uh, I was the kid in the room. Mm-hmm. At Notion, I became the adult in the room. Okay. When I joined, you we came in with people. experience. I came in with experience, but also I had some startup experience, so I could sort of like modulate a bit. Mm-hmm. But when I joined, I was the most experienced manager we had. <laughs> but also, I was the only parent. I remember because oh, I, okay. I had an 18-month-old, and you know. Mm. So, anyways, I became the adult in the room, which was kind of okay. fascinating in a few years. 
But anyways, my journey to Notion has been fascinating in the sense that I I was hired as a chief operating officer mm-hmm. to essentially manage and grow teams outside of product and engineering. So okay. Ivan and Simon, the founder, co-founders, wanted to sort of focus their time on product and engineering. And so I was mm-hmm. basically responsible to build everything else. And when I joined, we were, I think we only had product design and we had three people in support. So that was it. So I basically helped build from scratch, you know, obviously grew the support team, but then we mm-hmm. built the sales team and then we built the marketing team. So you were the product guy that was brought in to do not yeah. product. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that's a story for another time. But essentially, mm-hmm. yes, like I, my background is all product and I joined to essentially do everything except product here, mm-hmm. which I thought was like a very interesting challenge for me because mm-hmm. essentially I thought of it as like, hey, can I bring some of the product principles some of the systems building principles yeah. into these new functions. Interesting. And essentially for each of the function, I essentially hired the initial first ICs mm. and I managed them directly. Mm-hmm. And then I replaced myself with an experienced manager who could scale it. Mm. And then I replaced myself from their managers. To, you know, we hired our chief revenue officer, our chief financial officer, our general counsel, our head of people. And they all report to the CEO. So I sort of nuked myself out of a job <laughs> a few months ago. And I essentially sort of, after four years of building that, I sort of essentially went back to being a super IC here, mm. which is like, you know, I'm working on a few strategic projects. I do manage a few people every now and then. I, I have a small team right now. Yeah. But it tends to be teams that will eventually, again, graduate to a different home. Mm-hmm. And if people go on, maternity leave or paternity leave I'm usually help them out by sort of managing their teams when they're away okay. um, that's a fun strategy that you went for I don't know where I picked this up but I think part of the thing is I, I sort of feel grateful that I was able to manage pretty large teams at LinkedIn mm-hmm. and so in some ways I, I sort of like because in LinkedIn, that, you started out as a PM and then you kind of ended up with a big team in the end when you left. Yeah, in the end, I was sort of managing international and I was sort of mm. uh, driving LinkedIn India, which was, I think, 1,200 people then. Mm. And so I sort of like this experience of managing large teams was sort of out of my system and I, I wasn't craving that as much. Uh, and now you don't need to have an empire report to you anymore. Yeah, so I, I was sort of thought about it as like, okay, I, I want to build these teams out. I want to set Notion up for success, but I had absolutely no desire to continue to be their manager. If, mm. and, and, and as we went out in the market to find the best CRO, the best CFO, you know, best leaders, I mean, they all want to report to the CEO, mm. which totally makes sense to me. And I actually had, you know, totally respect that, right? And so essentially, I sort of nuked myself out of these roles after four-ish years here. Uh, but it's been, you know, reflecting back, I, I think, you know, every six months, it felt like a new challenge. Mm. For six months, it felt like, oh, we need to really get sales going. Maybe the next six months feels like, oh, we need to, like, get the finance team growing. In fact, actually, one of my f- most fun times at Notion is I reflect back was probably the nine months I spent with the finance team before our CFO got here. Mm. Like, I've never really done finance, but you actually get to learn so much about them just because you're managing them. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I learned so much about finance and how underappreciated it was before and how strategic it can be if you sort of really leverage that. Mm. Each of these journeys were really fun, but thankfully all of them are now run by very experienced leaders Mm -hmm. uh, who know a thing or two about those functions. 
So what would you say are some key differences between being a manager as a co-founder, like you were at Pulse or, or, or Notion here, um, versus being a manager as an employee when you were at LinkedIn, like based on how you've experienced it? Well, I would say that the Notion experience, at least in my view, is a good extension of my LinkedIn experience mm. in that we're obviously a lot smaller, but mm. I think we've tried to take the best of LinkedIn as it relates to being very mission-driven, mm -hmm. being very values-oriented inside the company. I also think that I was a significantly better manager uh, in my Notion experience than I was in my Pulse experience. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it came from actually managing larger teams. Like, I was less... What has changed, you think? Well, I think I got the playbook, right? I think once you understand the playbook of like, okay, well, so much of this is realizing once you have the right person, you can delegate and sort of like... Mm give them autonomy and drive accountability. Mm. You can only do that once you have the right people. So mm. I think part of it is like so much of my time, if I look back, like what have I done at my time and journey, I would say 50% of my time has been recruiting here. Mm. Mm -hmm. And once you feel like you have the right people, then okay, the best people want to drive things themselves. Mm. The best people will be, you know, will remain accountable to the results and, and all of that. And so, mm. so I think you sort of like, you can get out of the way for the most part can still give them guidance but but also I think the you know I sort of started to enjoy that like I said at this point I feel like seeing another person or another manager do extremely well at Notion mm -hmm. gives mm -hmm. me more joy than doing it myself yeah uh, and that's a big transition right mm -hmm. I think do you I feel like it, it's kind of like being a parent it's like oh, oh my kids have grown up hundred percent hundred percent uh, and I say that because I have two kids and I, I feel like I resonate <laughs> with that, right? Which is, mm. like, I think you get so much joy and pride in in doing that. And, and also you realize you, you, you get a lot of leverage that way, right? Like, I cannot do all the things I'm doing right now at Notion if I didn't have the wonderful team we had. Mm. And so I can focus on things that I'm good at, which is, like, I have a really good understanding of the product and the business of Notion. Mm -hmm. So I, I bring that perspective into the things we're doing, yeah. but I'm not driving day-to-day -day of any of these functions, mm. which is, but I have trusted leaders who can mm -hmm. who can do that. So, um, so how do you find these trusted leaders? Have you found like a way to spot these good people out there? So before I do that, I'm curious, does this story resonate with your journey as a manager? And, I'll, and we'll get into the recruiting part. <laughs> I definitely agree that finding the right people and then being able to delegate is the best feeling ever because then you free yourself up to see things on a higher level and help grow the team in a way that you wouldn't be able to if you were head down and like too hands on. I don't think that I've had the opportunity to, to see it as the scale that you have. Seeing as my team is like 17 people, I lead the brand and content team within the marketing team. But it's very interesting for me to hear from that perspective. That's kind of what you want when as you go up. It's not so much about building your team and then getting it as big as possible and have a lot of people reporting to you, but more about actually removing yourself from it. So then that's when you know that's a sign of success. Um, that people can can do things without you. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's. I think the the thing I would say also is you realize that also sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. Right. Sometimes you have to sort of like jump yes. back in there and be like, okay, I thought this was gonna be the right <laughs> setup and like clearly went the wrong direction. 
Uh, you can't be too hands off either. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be too hands off. So there's some mm. right balance there. Mm. And I also I think that there are, especially at a at a startup where it's growing at a fast pace, there are people that can bring you to a certain level from zero to one, one to ten, and then you realize that you actually need a different leader for a different set of challenges. So so that I've also seen. Yeah, what you just said is kind of interesting, right? I think the when when you're in a hyperscale startup, what what ends up happening is that the company is growing so fast, and mm. like you may find someone who you hire today and there's a chance that their growth rate their growth curve is the same as the company or mm. faster yeah. and in those cases those people will stay with you for a long mm-hmm. time mm. but in many cases those people are great people and they they are good learners but the company sort of paces them yeah and so you sort of constantly recruiting because you constantly mm. are Every year you have to rethink like, okay, are, is, is this the right setup? You know, mm. are we doing all the things we need to be doing? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've realized sort of is, is recruiting actually a really fun way of getting to learn a function. So mm-hmm. let's take sales. At this point, I've probably met 150 sales leaders in my five years because I think we tried to hire three times for this role. And so I have learned the nuances of how sales is done at different companies Mm-hmm. And the nuances of how different leaders operate, mm. just because I got to interview them and I got to learn from them, right? And, yeah. and that experience made me realize, like, okay, every time I need to hire a new function or a new leader, what I'll try to do is I'll actually try to find four or five people whom I think are the best in the world for that mm. function, mm-hmm. even though I know that they're probably not hireable. But I'll yeah. go talk to them and I'll learn from them. Know where the bar is. I, know where the bar is. And like, chances are, it's kind of like when you ask for feedback or advice, sometimes you may end up hiring them. Uh, That's happened. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. even if that's not the case, they probably know other people whom they could Mm. sort of guide you. But anyways, like when you talk to these experts, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about just like how it should be done and all of that. And then you get a better sense of like, okay, I'm calibrated. Mm. This is what what will work at Notion. And I think the things we look for is, of, of course, like we need relevant experience, but we also look for people who are truth seekers and what I mean by truth seekers is like, we don't want people who just come in and say like, okay, this is how it was done in this previous company. And so this is how it should be done here. Mm. We want people who sort of, you know, are first principles thinkers, think about what's unique about Notion and sort of apply that. Mm-hmm. And the more people you meet, the more refined your sort of point of view gets around mm. like what works or not. It, it's a little bit like, I don't know if you've ever tried to buy a home but after you see oh, a lot yeah, of homes in the and process, I... like we visited like over 20 of them and, and then you start to know like, okay, well, these ones you don't even need to go because there are things that you learn that you don't want. Yeah. You refine your criteria, basically. So it took me 18 months to buy our home in SF. Uh, and we probably saw so many during that time. And after a point, <laughs> you get a feeling which is like, okay, is this past all the criteria I have? You can take a quick walk around and you know within mm, a few mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah. And so I think I think it's kind of like the deeper you understand a specific function, uh, a specific things you need, the more people you meet, the more you sort of can trust that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think importantly, one of the things we did is we sort of translated that into more objectively making sure we do that, right? So mm. instead of just going by your intuition, mm. which you can still do in your interview, we sort of made the processes a bit more robust. Mm-hmm. So now we have... For each role, we follow the same process for each candidate. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm talking with you a bunch of different things and suddenly rating you on that. No, it's like 
I'm focused on a specific thing and and I'm trying to like be consistent in all the people mm-hmm. we meet. Yeah, I mean that that's important as, especially as you scale, you start to have more hiring managers and how do you ensure that we all have the same standards? And I guess like that that kind of relates to to my other question about how different is it to be a manager in a smaller startup versus a bigger company? Um you mentioned in the beginning at Pulse where you can just stand up say something and everybody's on the same page. And I guess in bigger teams, you'll have to th- be more intentional about communication, setting processes, and making sure that things are scalable and, and scaling in the same way that you originally intended when you started small. Yeah, actually, when I reflect back my life, my, sort of my decade of working, one of the things I realized is like, you know, each setup appreciates energy from the different setup, right? So if, when I sort of worked on Pulse, the reason I was a valuable member at LinkedIn is because I wanted to bring the entrepreneurial mm. spirit into a larger company mm, which mm-mm. had gotten in its ways of you know following mm-hmm. the processes and mm. maybe being a bit slow and sort of measured right yeah and so LinkedIn appreciated me being entrepreneurial a little bit sort of like Maverick. restless yeah. uh, <laughs> impatient and LinkedIn did a good job trying to make sure these founders that they acquired had a good experience because they cared about staying nimble, right? And mm-hmm. then my LinkedIn experience has actually made me a very valuable operator at Notion because everybody mm-hmm. here is trying to like move fast and break things. And yeah. uh, uh, and, and I'm a little bit, at least in the early days, sort the of adult. had that experience, the adult in the room trying yeah. to like do that, right? So I think there's probably a little bit of a mix that you have to do. And, and I think I think there's benefits and trade-offs, right, uh, in each of these setups, right? Mm. In in one case, when you get to a scale of LinkedIn, like sort of the downside of making a big error is quite high and you have to, yeah. the scale that they operate is quite large, so you have to sort of be more careful. Mm. At the same time, like I think trying to bring all of that into Notion in the early days would have been incorrect mm. because part of the value that Notion has is that it can move fast, yeah. right? Is that it can like, be very nimble and so I think part of what you need to do as a manager is to think about um, what the company needs from you what the company needs Mm. and like what feels sort of like the right thing to do at that point and and Mm. I think the way Notion operated five years ago versus how Notion operates today itself is is changed a lot I think and as an accidental manager um, do you have any like big management lessons or mistakes that you've learned the hard way in your career that you can share with us? Like most thing that that really there was a pivot moment of like before after this happened and it changed you fundamentally as a, as a manager. I think you can figure out as a company what your decision-making framework is. And it doesn't matter which one you pick, but I think it's worth picking one. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's uh, racy, daisy, or, uh, you know, rapid framework, you can pick one so that as a company, you can all speak the same language, mm. right? And I think you can decide. I think at LinkedIn, we use Rapid as a framework. And I think that was that worked mm. well for, for that company. It's important that you get to that because otherwise it feels like, you know, everybody's doing decision making in a different way. Mm. Uh, so that's one. And I think the other one that I is part of this, Jeff had this at LinkedIn, what he called clean escalation, which I thought was a really nice way of thinking about it, which was essentially this idea that let's say there's two people who have a conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to do two different things. Sort of Jeff's suggestion for that was to, if you can't get to a resolution, then you should cleanly escalate it 
to your managers, right? So let's say there's two okay. ICs not able to work together, then we're right. like, okay, well, it sounds like we're in a uh, we're in a bind. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's cleanly escalate it to our respective managers, okay. and and you say that out loud so that the other person knows that you're escalating and they're escalating. Okay. So it's not like me going to my manager and complaining. Behind your back. But mm-hmm. we're both saying, let's just talk to our managers. And Jeff said, keep doing it until it gets to me. Okay. Try to get to a resolution in the next couple of days. And the way to do that is to cleanly escalate it mm-hmm. and keep escalating. If your, manager, if your managers don't agree, escalate even further. Mm-hmm. And at some point it will come to me and then I will help you decide if you can okay. do that. <laughs> now, the fun thing with this is like, as soon as you say to the other person, hey, Joey, sounds like we're in a bind. Let's cleanly escalate. There's a chance that the two of you would be like, oh, you know uh, what? No, Actually, let's just let's just resolve it right here. <laughs> I don't want to go to my manager, right? And so yeah. the number of things that ended up in Jeff's you know, table mm. was probably less than f- five any given year. Mm. But now you have a framework that sort of gets you through the bind very quickly. And, and I like that because when you're 10,000 people, like yeah. so many things just get sort of stuck. Mm. And I think Jeff gave everyone a simple framework to think about unstucking yourself and, you know, making progress. That's a good one. Sounds like Jeff is quite the manager. That's a, Jeff is quite the manager. Yeah. Um, you should have him on his podcast. Oh, yeah. You should connect <laughs> me if, if it's open to it. I would love that. Um, what's the most surprising thing that you didn't expect about being a manager? Well, at least compared to my previous experience and now, like, I didn't realize how much joy I would get Mm. from seeing other people succeed. I just thought, like, my initial experience was just frustrating that, like, I could do things faster. But I've definitely gotten to the side of, like, I I just get more joy now seeing other people succeed in their roles than doing things myself. Okay, that's great. It's It's a good surprise. It's a good surprise. Well, in one sentence, what does being a good boss mean to you? Uh, I'll again take inspiration from Jeff and I'll say is to be compassionate. Mm. Wow. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Akshay as much as I did. I was a little nervous going into the conversation, but was quickly relaxed by how down to earth, cool and just normal Akshay is. Despite his very impressive CV and obvious smartness, Akshay's story reminds me that even the most successful bosses start somewhere. Nobody starts out knowing how to be a good boss. Everyone's faking it till they make it. The most important thing is to keep learning and Akshay's journey is a great example of that. If something we discussed sparked a story or a piece of advice you'd like to share about being a boss, feel free to leave me a message on SpeakPipe. The link is in the show notes. I might just share it on the next episode. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Good Boss, Bad Boss. If you want to support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating, and share it with someone you think will enjoy it. You can also subscribe to my Substack to get email updates. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye!